Let's, let's go to Luke chapter 18. And uh, that's great. <clears throat> I love it, I love it. Oh, my doodad's turned on here. <clears throat> that's the way I feel when I, I walk down the hallway. Several of you men, you'll be standing there together and I'm just going to go through, look up at you as I go past. <clears throat> Luke chapter 18. Familiar account, but I want to give you just a few quick thoughts on it this evening. And uh, this account deals with a parable that Jesus gave. You'll know there are parables in the Bible that are identified as such. And uh, Jesus gives a parable that's in a story. You're not dealing with a particular individual person of history, but a realistic situation, the type of thing that happened, things going on to teach truth. And uh, you have, Jesus gives a parable specifically for a reason. He gives two of them here in Luke 18, right one right after the other, right at the beginning, uh, for specific reasons why he's given them. Um, verse 1, he speaks a parable to the end that people would pray and not faint. So he was teaching that parable so people would pray and wouldn't quit praying. They wouldn't give up on praying. Then you come down in, the, in verse 9 and it says, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so this is the one we're going to be looking at learning some things from it. But he specifically said he gave this parable. This was given for this purpose. And um, so I'm going to speak to you this evening on the subject of self-righteousness revealed. And I'll be honest with you, it's a uh, it's a tough message. Not in the sense of a brutality of approach, but it just is very searching. Self-righteousness revealed. May I say that one of the things that those who are people who believe the Bible literally, and I am one of those, purposely, and uh, can, I'm very convinced uh, the Scriptures to be taken literally, and when you take it literally, it will guide you into what parts are, for instance, a parable, or what part is like unto, that type of thing. You take it literally and it'll guide you into which parts, how to, how to interpret itself. And with that said, those who also believe, as I do believe, that the Bible teaches that we're supposed to live godly, soberly, and righteously in this present world. Those who believe that uh, we are supposed to come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord. In other words, we believe the many, many scriptures throughout the Bible, starting from Old Testament and continuing throughout the New Testament, that reveal that God wants His people to be a peculiar people, different in the way they go about life. Those who believe that and believe the Bible, take it literally, one great danger that we have. I'm one of those people, so it's self-inclusive pronoun. One of the great dangers we have is becoming self-righteous. It's very dangerous for us. Because self-righteousness is uh, carried in the vehicle of pride. All of us as humans have that thing called pride. And uh, religious pride may be the most nauseating of all. Self-righteousness gladly travels and is conveyed in that, in that vessel. Um, and so it, it's good for myself, for all of us, to really look at what God was teaching and how the Lord taught 
in this uh, parable what he was teaching us about self-righteousness. We understand that self-righteousness can be the hindrance or the stumbling block that keeps someone from getting saved. Self-righteousness is a very evident word. You believe you're righteous in and of and through yourself. Either inherently, you believe you're just a good person, or by your actions, you believe you're earning righteousness. That's self-righteousness. There's no big mystery to the term. You're looking to self for your righteous standing. And you're counting on that. And um, that manifests in a lot of different ways, but it's deadly in all of them. And it is what keeps some from coming to Christ. And I say to you, that was a major stumbling block in my own personal life before I got saved. Because as I looked around my high school, my public high school, as I traveled with our varsity wrestling team, as I was involved in the different things we did, I could literally look at the people I was in school with and say, no, I don't run and do that. No, I'm not slipping off and doing that. No, I'm not taking part of that. And so compared to their living standard of the public high school, which I was, I had a very clean living standard compared to the crowd around me. Also, and unfortunately, some who I knew to be regular church attenders and even some who invited me to church, I knew their behavior pattern. I knew what they did after the wrestling meets and after the track meets. And and I knew what they did after the school hours. And I looked at it and said, I'm not doing that. And so self-righteousness was there. And I thought I was all right. And of course, with no Bible knowledge, I had the fictitious idea that so much of the world has that if you just did more good than bad, you know, you'd be okay. And of course, that's, that's a sign of someone total lack of the, the revelation of God through His Word. And so, uh, understanding all that, um, it's pretty amazing now as a Christian man, as, as a, uh, someone who's wanted to live for the Lord properly and has sought to do so down over many years, um, it's amazing to me how, how I still see as I go through this, even putting this message together, knowing this is why I should preach, I still see things where the Lord touches and says, this is self-righteousness. Son, this needs work on. This needs yielding. And uh, so this is the type of message we have tonight. Let's look at, uh, look at the thing here in Luke 18. I'm going to read through it and I'm going to go back through and just show you some, some quick thoughts on it. And, um, but I believe that they will be no less, uh, no less uh, valuable to us because of the brevity. Verse 9, it says, He spake this parable unto certain, and it's Jesus, which trusted in themselves. There's the root of self-righteousness, as you would imagine it would be. That they were righteous and despised others. Um, one of the key characteristics of, seeing, of, of evaluating the acid test, if you will, to, to see if we're dealing in self-righteousness, is if we despise others because of our supposed righteousness. A godly righteousness and a godly humility will lead us to be brokenhearted for others. We despise the wrong without despising others. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, it's very simple. We think that somehow by just by birth or by our intrinsic, you know, who we are, that somehow we're so much better than others. Boy, the view of that is so limited. There may be some in your mind right now, you take a little exception with me saying that, and 
You're not mad at me, but you take exception to it and think maybe I'm off base on that some. But I have the weight of the scripture on what, what I'm saying there. And uh, you walk with the Lord long enough and you, uh, you go through this life long enough, you're going to find out, if you pay attention, you're going to find out that uh, the best of us are men at best. And so this thing of uh, self-righteousness causes us to despise others. The worst outworking of that has been has led to genocides, ethnic pur- purgings, racial purging, purgings. I keep saying purgings. I don't mean to. <laughs> Certainly not a something I'm trying to make fun of. It's just my tongue's not working. Out. I mean, ultimately, that was uh, what was at the base of Hitler's demonic final solution. You know, but many purges of people that they're lesser, and because they're lesser, they're not really humans. And because they're not really humans, it's okay to either uh, either to enslave them, or abuse them, or kill them. Get rid of them. I understand there are capital, that is, death sentences on certain behavior patterns: murder, rape. They yeah. yeah. yes. say. Um. I understand that there, there is a place for that when it's done properly and it's done in the right way with the right process. And, uh, but the thing of despising others is the idea of, it's the idea of just thinking that, you know, well, I'm just better than that. Well, <clears throat> if you are, if your choices are better, and if you really aren't wired, you just don't want to do those evil things, it would be far more fitting to be thankful yeah. that you don't. And realize that uh, you, you didn't build that within yourself. You may have capitalized on something somebody gave you or something you inherited or something you were taught. But it would be a whole lot better to be grateful. You know, there's a lot of people in the history of my family that booze is just, they've allowed booze to get into the life and it's messed them up badly. Some of them just destroyed them. We go back through our family history. I could decide to despise them and say, you know, this uncle and that one, or even my own father, you know, well, somehow I'm just stronger than he was. And look down and despise. And while there are those, even some who I've been related to, for whom I have no respect because of their behavior. I don't respect them any more than what I'm glad my mom taught me, which I'm to respect all humans because they're humans made in the image of God. Mom was big on teaching us that. It was a good teaching. But there are some people I do not have respect because of their repeated behavior pattern. Do you know this is a strange thing? You can actually care and have love for somebody you don't respect. You can dead sure care for somebody you don't trust. But to despise them. And to think that just somehow I am a better being. I am a superior being than they are. That's not so. We can look at things or, you know, everybody in this room, you have different things you can do well. You know, I am physically stronger than some of you in this room. I'm naturally physically stronger than some of you in this room. 
but there's about eight under. <laughs> I hope. <clears throat> I can find myself wishing someone wouldn't allow themselves to be destroyed by choices they make in life. But if I went around thinking that somehow I'm better than somebody because I've got more of a certain thing, whatever it is, than they do. You know, not all strengths are the same in this room. I'm just talking naturally. I'm not talking about how you care for yourself. You inherently have certain strengths. Some of you, uh, there, there are different levels of intellect in the room. And I know this isn't popular in a politically correct world. We think everybody's saying we're not. We have different capacities. And people don't like that. Well, that's, you got to deal with reality. I have met people that I am smarter than they are. I have met people who have gears in their transmission I didn't even come with in my base model. I mean, honestly, I look at them and go, well, okay then, wow, are they running at a different level? But if we were take these things that we have and despise others, that's a shame to us. Those are very dangerous. It's based in pride. The Bible says it this way, if you've received these things, why do you boast as if you had not received them? Now, here's how this goes into self-righteousness. In self-righteousness, we think because of what we believe, we think because of what we've decided to do and how we're living. If we're living in obedience to the Bible, how do we have any right to be self-righteous about doing that? Think about it for a moment. What we have done is we have found the book of God. We have In our life, we found it. We didn't discover it, obviously. We have found it and we've said, okay, that's true. We started following it. And we're blessed in the following of it and then act as if we're the ones who wrote it almost. That makes no sense at all to stop and think about it. But we often don't stop and think about it. I'll give you these few thoughts tonight. He spake this parable unto them which trusted in themselves and they were righteous, uh, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. You know this account, don't you? The one a Pharisee very much, a, very much a Bible believer. And the other, a publican. And you know the story of the publicans. They're Jewish people who acted as tax collectors for the Roman government. Therefore, they were despised by their own nation for that action. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, I think key words in here, with himself, God, I thank Thee I am not as other men are. Now, how... That sounds, that's almost like a brash clamoring on our ears when we hear someone stand praying, I thank you God, I'm not as other men are. I remember a fellow, I can't already think of that without thinking of a fellow who used to sing some music in the uh, Missionary Baptist Temple. And uh, he showed up there some. I can't remember the guy's name for anything. Speaking of music, I said music, I had music. Uh, and he got up and he was doing song. And he says, I want to sing you another wonderful song that I wrote. God deliver us for that guy. Kind of I'm so glad you came here tonight to hear this wonderful message that I put together for you. It's just dripping with pride and absolutely amazing. 
But that's what he did. He prayed thus with himself. Can you imagine praying to the God of the universe? God, I'm glad. I am so glad you have me. <laughs> Hopefully we'd be almost scared to say those words and mean them seriously. But I wonder if our heart ever speaks silently while our mouth is not brazen enough to enunciate. And so the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, (laughs) apparently that's who he thought himself was, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Then he's got the laundry list of sin. He's gone to the prayer place bringing God a laundry list of everybody else's problems, you know. It's them, it's them, it's them, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's my brother, it's my sister, it's my wife, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And that's how he sang that song. If you don't know, that's not how the song was written, um, either either uh, lyrically or musically. But uh, I thank them not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. <laughs> you ever knelt to prayer at this altar and somebody kneeled near you and you wondered why they were there? Might want to be careful of that. I fast twice in the week. That's <laughs> funny. I wonder if, you know, it's been 15 minutes twice in the week. He'd still say that. Huh? Doesn't say he went the whole day without food. Maybe he skipped lunch twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. <clears throat> well, fasting certainly scriptural. And tithing certainly scriptural. This guy, boy. That's it. And the publican, this guy that the Jews wouldn't like, but he was a Jew. Standing Whereabouts? Would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast. By the way, he said, why would he himself on the chest? Because that's where he was hurting. Right there at the heart. That's where he was hurting. That's where he was hurting. See, he was feeling in his heart his condition. A Pharisee, he wasn't doing that. Right. He wasn't feeling it in his heart. And he said, he smote upon his breast and would not lift up so much his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. Hey, what? There you go. Give you these thoughts. Self-righteousness revealed. Here's some things that reveal self-righteousness. Of course, I took time to explain and to, to elaborate a little bit on the thing of despising others because that sets the pace for the whole thing. But centering on self. Reveals self-righteousness. That's not a surprise. But centering on self, look at verse 11. He stood and prayed thus with himself. Everything in a belief system rises or falls according to the standard of us. No, we are not the standard. But centering on self is a revelation of self-righteousness. Everything else measures around it. Everything else revolves around self. Very self-centered religion. By the way, that's why the more we give in to self-righteousness, the easier, more easily we will be offended. The Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law. And how much shall offend them? Nothing shall offend them. Why? Because a right relationship with the Word of God will always give us a right view of ourselves. 
We'll understand both our great needy condition and we'll also understand our great standing before God because of God's grace. makes you understand from where you come and it also makes you understand what you have. It's why this morning as I preach those who were in this morning service, I could say to people, regardless of where you've come from and what's been behind, you can do something different with your life. Why? Not because of inherent goodness of that person, but because there's a living God that can take you and use you. Why is that? Because the more centered we are on self, wouldn't it stand to reason? Self-righteousness? But we'd have to start with self. Secondly, it is condemning and critical. Verse 11. Verse 11 says this, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men. What did he think he was? And then he goes and names all of that. It's condemning and critical in the way it goes about. One way to tell whether you're condemning and critical or whether you are deciding to live and stand for what's right, and even if the situation is appropriate, if you are, the Bible teaches at times where to reprove one another, there are times of time of rebuke in a proper situation. That's not for everybody with everybody, but the Bible outlines. There are times we try to recover people from things, we deal with people, and we have to be very straightforward in dealing with problems. Have to maybe help someone to see a situation. But you know what the difference is? The Bible says when we're recovering someone and we're, we're trying to help them recover, they, they have to do it, but we're trying to do our part. The Bible says that we do it in a spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, we don't think we're made of different stuff than they are and we do it in meekness and we're broken hearted. We see someone we care about going out of the way of serving the Lord they got things hidden from those who are supposed to be involved in their life for their good. They're hiding things from a parent, hiding things from a spouse, hiding things. They've got this thing going on and you know about it or you see this, this behavior that doesn't fit what a Christian is supposed to be like. Instead of condemning critical, well, I'll tell you, that's just the way they are. And you think somehow you're better than that. Where if God drew back the curtain of your heart, who knows what we would be looking at. Instead, you're brokenhearted. So that's the big difference. Brokenhearted says, well, they're going to be destroyed. It's my brother. That's my sister. That's going to eat them alive. Let me, let me put it down where it hurts us a little. With the intent that it'll help us. I just don't know why they're not in church. It's a whole lot different than, well, I sure do miss them. Well, I don't want to see them get out where they're not being influenced by the Word of God. Well, I know what happens. I've seen this before. They're going to start changing in ways they are not going to be happy about. The them that they will become will be somebody that them that they were would not like. There's a big difference in those two things. And, uh, and, and so self-righteousness is condemning and critical. The self-righteousness centers on self. Self-righteousness is condemning and critical. Self-righteousness has the conceit of convictions. And lest you misunderstand your preacher, I believe very much in having convictions, but I'm going to teach you something in just a moment that might be an eye-opener to her, to that situation. Look in verse 12. I fast twice in the week. Right? I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I fast twice in the week. I give tithe of all 
that I possess. Right, set up, Philip, set up, please. Sir, you're, you're a big kid. Set up. There we are. Thank you. Turn to the, uh, the set close there, but set up. Let's listen. The, uh, he had a, he had a, uh, he had a conceit of convictions. He said, what are convictions? Well, God has things He teaches. Grace does not teach us that we do not have a duty to obedience to the Word of God. Because right. grace is being mistaught terribly in our time. I mean, that's the worst I've ever seen in my years of ministry. But convictions, as we call them, even those that are solidly biblically based, like for instance, someone will have, I'll just use a very obvious one, someone will have a very, uh, very biblical based conviction that they're not going to lie about things. You face it. I know some of you have recently, and I know you do continually. Sometimes in the work world, your pressure is put on you to lie about things and stuff, but you've got a conviction which is based on the Word of God that a Christian person doesn't lie, and so you choose not to do that and take whatever heat comes because of it. And uh, you say, well, you got to go along to get along. And, and that's a worldly, wicked philosophy. That's against, against what the Scripture teaches. And so this is so patently obvious, and it's so biblical, it cannot be avoided by anybody. So when wants to argue about whether a Christian should tell truth or not, then they are wanting to fight against the Bible. They're not wanting to be honest. And so this is a very obvious conviction. No question about this. No gray issue in this one. Okay, so somebody has a conviction based on being truthful and based on the Bible, they're going to be truthful. Well, here's the thing about it. They become conceited about it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I never tell a lie. I tell and they become conceited about that. So they are doing the right thing, but the right thing has a stench to it in the nostrils of God because of the heart that's behind it. You say, well, they might as well lie. Now, that's incorrect thinking. You don't compound error with error. That's sort of like you smashing your finger and hurting it, so just cutting it off and getting it done with. No, that's really bad reasoning. Won't hurt that anymore. It keeps getting in the way. Um, instead, we realize if God has showing us His Word, we understand we're not supposed to lie, and we take a stand for it, instead of patting ourselves spiritually on the back, why don't we do like the apostles and those in the New Testament did when they stood for Christ? They were glad they were counted worthy. So Lord, thank You that I didn't give in on that. Especially if you know what this is like, you decided to do the right thing. Okay? You made a decision to do the right thing. And there was a pressure on you to do wrong, and you were tempted to give in to that pressure. You ever been there? But you didn't give in. You ever been there? Didn't give in. And you're like, well, you ought to be very grateful to God. Thank you, Lord. Now you stood, but you ought to acknowledge the fact that thank God, you know, Lord, thank you so much. And especially if you've ever had this happen, I know I have had, when in a critical time, verse will come to the mind, and that verse will be the thing that just kind of shores you up. What is that? Yeah, you ought to be thankful. But the conceit of convictions is it. Look at me. Some of you have seen that to a fairly well. <laughs> I've told the story before. It's funny. It really is because it was a true account. A lady went to a type of church that taught if you wore short sleeves, it was a sin. Not supposed to expose the arm at all. When she walked in, she had sleeves up to here. <laughs> Hilarious that it happened, actually. And uh, 
they, someone accosted her. Sister so-and-so, why do you got the short sleeve on? I can't, yeah. Okay, first I don't believe it. There's a scriptural base for that at all anyway, but, but even being that said, that's what they honestly believe, that's not the way to go about that thing. And so, said, Sister so-and-so, why do you got that like that? And you know what Sister so-and-so did? Stuck her arm up. And she said, if you showed her elbow and said, if you can lust over that, you deserve to go to hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> so preach, I don't appreciate that. I didn't tell for you to appreciate it. I told for me to appreciate it. I think it's a funny story, and I wanted to hear it tonight. They, it, <laughs> this, this thing of uh, a conceit of convictions. Now, here's a revealing thing about convictions. There are convictions, you know, the Bible says to lay aside not only the sin uh, which does so easily beset us, but also to lay aside every weight. So there may be some individual things that we in our lives say, for my race and for me, I need to do thus or I need to not do thus. Now, when it comes to Bible teaching, that's Bible teaching, that's for everybody. But there are, I'll just tell you, there are things as a pastor that I walk even a little more circumspect than I would have when I would just as a Christian man. Because of my race, because of what I do, because of what my calling is. And, and I think and I think we ought to take that into consideration. Um, it's just like Brother Brian is a lieutenant in the police force. You have different responsibilities. You have to do things differently than you did when you first started working. For because you represent the police force. And so you have to be on your best behavior. How's that working, by the way? Uh, I've just known you a long time. I'm a bit curious about that. Um, um, but, but here's the thing with it. Those convictions that we have are not a sign of our righteousness. They're a sign of our weakness. If we were truly, purely holy, we wouldn't have to have it. Because our nature would be such that we would not head towards what's wrong. Right. You know why those barriers have to be there? Because of our weakness. So to take pride in the fact we experience our weakness is just very common among us, and it is not a good thing. So the centering on self, the condemning and critical, the conceit of convictions, then the presumption, the placement. This is interesting. Look in verse 13. And in the presumption of placement, I got by the, the uh, contrast here. Verse 13, and the publican standing afar off. That's in contrast to the Pharisee. The Pharisee went right into the place of prayer, went right into the center of it. When he didn't aid, he said, I should be here. I mean, he just, well, if anybody's allowed in here, it'd be me. That's right. You know? Or a fellow in the old building that set where that, that south building is, and we didn't have all this fellow visited, came in the door. I watched him walk in, and I thought, huh. I gave him the benefit of the doubt, but more he's getting more doubt than benefit from me right now. You say, why? I, I don't know. <laughs> Experience maybe. And he walked in and looked around. He did. It was, it was amazing he walked in. I thought, uh huh. Well. We'll see what develops with this. He sat through the service. And it was the kind of thing, not a nod like, hey, I agree with that. 
Not like a nod like some of you do and trying to stay awake. Not that type of nod. It was the kind of nod that people give, and I've had them do this here. I've actually had them making lists uh, where they say, oh, 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 you got that one right. Good job. Let's see what else you get right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but it was one of those types. It was like, like an approval nod. You got that one right. So I'm watching this guy and say, this is amazing. He walks down at the end of the service. He walks up to me. And they grin. And the handshake and body language approach. <laughs> and he goes, I want to introduce myself. So-and-so told me what church he's from. He goes, I'm maybe locating up here. He says, I'm from a little distance here. And he says, I may be locating to this area. And I was considering your church. I'm thinking, well, ain't we lucky. <laughs> And he says to me, honest, this is his exact word. He goes, at my church, I'm pretty much my pastor's right hand man. Said, mm. so how'd that go? I stayed. He goed. Um, <laughs> didn't work so well. <laughs> anyway, what is that? Presumption of placement. Boy, this is easy to get into. And it's easy to look at extreme like that and say, my goodness, what's that like? But in our own minds, look, we got to come to church tonight. We get to be in a beautiful building. God's Word's open. We're talking about God's Word, trying to learn to live better through it. We heard a good choir special singing, reminding us good stuff. We sang some songs together. We got to worship the Lord by giving. We got to worship the Lord and being together. We've laughed and talked already and had some fun and enjoyed that. Yeah, it's just a privilege to be in the house of God. Yeah. Didn't the Spirit express it well through the psalmist when he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked? And there's a pride of placement. I've got to be at the front. Yeah. Jesus taught us that it's better to start out in a low position and have someone say, come up, than to exalt yourself into a high position and be told to go down. Didn't he teach that? And, and so it is, this man had a private placement. He said, here's where I am. Let me tell you what I've done and who I am. And God is never for that. It's self-righteousness. Well, who's got the biggest? And who's got the best? And who is... No! This is not a competition to see who's the quote-unquote most spiritual. This is called living for the Lord and helping one another. Building up each other in the faith. That's what it's supposed to be. And so what happens is the pride of placement. And the contrast to that, it's amazing. The publican stood afar off. You have the idea there. Prayer's going on. He gets away from it because he does not feel worthy to be in it. Isn't that what's going on here? The publican was a Jew. He wouldn't have been a publican if he wasn't a Jew. The, the publicans were the Jewish people who were collecting taxes from the Roman government. He was a son of Abraham. 
But he did not, he was in a position in his life, he was at a time in his life where he did not assume and presume that that entitled him to come arrogantly to God. Feeling the, the guilt of his own living and feeling the conviction on his own heart, even though he was a son of Abraham, he stepped back away and said, I don't where did it The other fellow thought he was God's gift to God. So you have this thing, you have these different things. You have, you have the centering on self, you have the condemning critical spirit, you have the conceit of convictions and presumption of placement. And then, look what ends up happening. Look at the verses there. It says, I tell you, verse 14, this man went down to the, his house, the, the publican justified rather than the other. In other words, the Pharisee was not justified in God's eyes. I put this down with that, the absence of acceptance. God did not accept the prayer of the Pharisee. God did not accept the person of the Pharisee. God never accepts us on the terms of self-righteousness. If you want to know what was shut down the shut the door of God's acceptance towards us faster than about anything we can do, it's self-righteousness. Go to Revelation and read the special rebuke that God has for Laodicea when they say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And God says, You do not even know that you're poor and miserable and blind and naked. He said, I see you this way and you are deluding yourself thinking you're another way. Why? Self-righteousness. And what did that self-righteousness lead to? Oh, they had a fine building, I'm sure, because they had need of nothing. Oh, they probably had a substantial congregation in size. But what they were lacking was the humility of knowing they needed God. There wasn't the fervency to pray. There wasn't the, the need and the calling out to God. Because listen to me, my friends. As much as we are self-righteous, we will try to live independent from our, our need of God. Why? Because who needs God? We have us. Then, the other thing that shows up here and self-righteousness revealed, there's a contrast of confession. Of course, the publican is the one who confessed, didn't he? He, he just called what he was. God, be merciful. God, be merciful. He didn't come telling God why he deserved it. He didn't come telling God uh, how much he had done. He just came and said, God, I need your mercy. And he said, I want to tell you why I need your mercy. I want to need your mercy because I'm a sinner. Now, that's a very revealing way of phrasing it. He didn't just say, God, be merciful to me. I have sinned. It's not just a play a nuance of language. There's something revealed here. He didn't just come along and say, God be merciful to me. I've sinned. Here's what he did. He said, God be merciful to me because God, I'm telling you what I am at my core is a sinner. God says, he's justified. What's that mean? And God said, he got it. No, now in my eyes, it's just as if you'd never sinned. You're clean. 
It is awesome. Tremendous. Why? Because he admitted what he was. I told you, real victory starts coming in your life when you deal with sin this way. When you go, you should name sin for what it is to God. In other words, uh, if you've stolen something, you don't say, well, I took something that wasn't my, my call it stealing. That's what you did. I don't care if it was from some individual. I don't care if it was while somebody wasn't looking. I don't care if it was from work. You stole your thief. Um, you know, we live in a day and time now, people don't want to call fornication fornication. They call it living together. They call it this. They call it that. It's sinful. First step is to call it what God calls it. Call drunkenness drunkenness. Call gluttony gluttony. Call hatred hatred. Call it what God calls it. That's the first step. That's a big step. But here's where victory comes in. Identify it and acknowledge what God identifies it as. Then you go to the deeper step, and this is where the victory comes, when you actually take ownership of the fact that the reason why you did it is because of you. As long as you are still making excuses for why you are doing wrongly, much less calling sins mistakes, If you broke the Scripture and disobeyed the Scripture on something, you did not make a mistake. It's a very bad trend in language in our churches, in our church even. Everything people want to say is a mistake. No, there are mistakes. If I, if I forget to enter a, a check after I've written it and my balance is off uh, at the end of the month, I've made a mistake. If I break one of God's commandments, that's called sin. That's right. And then, if I will face the fact that when I sin, it's because of me. From whence come wars and fightings? Come they not from your own selves, your own hearts? You lust and kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. They come from within. Jesus said it's what comes out of the mouth. It's from, it comes from out of the man. It defiles the man because that comes from the heart. When we really will face that, it goes from this, God, I lied to get that deal done. God, I lied so I wouldn't get in trouble. Do you see that in that explanation, we are naming the sin, but we are building excuse into it. God, I like, here's the reason I did it. There's a whole different world we'll open to you. God, I like. God, I like. When the pressure was put on, God, it is revealed what I am inside. I have to have you. I need cleansing in the inward part. I need you to affect me inside. I believe very much as a church we should take a very strong literal stance on the Word of God. I believe in having code of conduct that keep us in the realm of excellence for our operations. 
I believe that personally we should practice both internally the beauty of holiness and the practical holiness, which means living clean in a very dirty world. But while we walk that path, what we've got to be very careful of, myself, and everybody who's here maybe tonight, we've got to be very careful realizing that our own, my own, and your own self-righteousness will come to the surface of that pass. The way we combat that, and the way we try to stay away from that, is by being very grateful to God, expressing our thanks, and praising Him. Because when we do that, it, it trains our heart to be grateful to God instead of being full of self. We can easily go, my friends, from being, wow, God cleansed me. Wow, God loved me. He cleansed me. Wow, I'm clean. I'm clean. Wow, I why aren't you clean? Now that transition can happen so fast. Father, thank you for your words. I've needed it through the study and through preaching of it. And uh, Lord, may myself and those people that I get to serve, may we all, Lord, here have a heart. So we want to let your word examine our heart and be clean before you. Instead of being self-righteous, Lord, we... Thank you for your righteousness through Christ. And then practical day-by-day -day righteousness. We want to do it right, whether somebody's watching or not, whether we get credit or not. And then the critical and condemning spirit. That's not the way you are. And, uh, Lord, just uh, I feel I need a lot of work in that. Father, I pray, imagine a number of your people here obviously had me preach this, so folks need it. Lord, I pray you'll help us tonight to seek you in this, please. Amen. While we stand tonight, why don't you come?